according to your good will by your word. We thank you tonight that your word is alive. We thank you tonight that as we receive your word and get revelation from the word of God, that, Lord, it ministers life and health to us. Lord, we give you praise and honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Is that all? Amen. Amen. It's good to see all of you tonight. What time is it? Oh, good. We don't have a time limit tonight. No time limit. We pray. We can just go. I mean, yeah, Joe's already in bed. We can stay up as late as we want to. It's, it's, yeah. Amen. You know, as believers, we've got to understand who we are. Here's what the scripture says in Romans 5, 17. It says, for if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, talking about Adam, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Now that is a great passage of scripture. It says those who have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. In other words, we're the ones in charge. We reign in life. We are those who've received the abundance of grace. We 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 talked about grace several months ago, and the scripture we used over and over was from First John one sixteen, from John one sixteen, out of the Amplified. It says, "For out of His fullness, abundance, we have all received, all had a share. We were all supplied with one grace after another, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, and even favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. So we have received the abundance of grace. Amen. We also have received the gift of righteousness. The scripture says." For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So the verse applies to us. We've received the gift of righteousness. We have received the abundance of grace. And so we ought to be reigning in life. The word, When it says reign, the word reign means to rule or to exercise kingly power. We should be exercising kingly power power in the earth. Now, let me ask you a question. How does a king reign? What does a king do? How does does a king get things done? Well, he exercises his power by decree. He decrees. A king says, do this, and they do it. He decrees a thing, and it gets done for him. Now, the Bible says that we are kings and priests. The scripture says in Revelation 1, 6, And Jesus hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So we are kings and priests. We are to be reigning in life by one Jesus Christ. The only way to reign in life is to decree a thing. I declare. As a king, we need to know that the devil is not the one in charge. We have authority over the devil. We have authority over our flesh. we got to let them know continually that they are no longer in charge, but by Jesus Christ, we reign in life. 
The word life, of course, is the Greek word zoe, which means the life quality of God or life as God has it, life that transcends the physical arena and connects with God is what that's talking about. We reign in that realm. We need to begin to make decrees as kings and queens in the earth. I like that. We make the declaration with our mouth. We act on things in our actions, and the devil has to flee from us. He has to obey what we've said. The scripture says, I like this passage of scripture. Philippians 1.28. This is from the Amplified Version. This is a great verse. If you need to meditate one, it's a good one. It says, And do not for a moment be frightened or intimidated in anything by your opponents and adversaries, for such constancy and fearlessness will be a clear sign, proof and seal to them of their impending destruction, but a sure token and evidence of your deliverance and salvation and that from God. It says we are not to be intimidated in anything by our adversary. We reign in life. We make the decree. When we reign in life and we speak, I'm telling you, we put the devil on notice that he is no longer in charge. I like this, I like this passage. The scripture says that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which in his time shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the king with a capital K. We're the king with the little K. He's the Lord with a capital L. We're the Lord with a little L. We reign in life as kings and priests as we submit to the king and the Lord. We reign in life. We're the ones in authority. We're the kings and lords that Jesus is king and lord of. He reigns, he reigns and we, we reign under him. Right? And all that works the way it's supposed to work if we'll walk in the Spirit. <laughs> if we'll be filled with the Spirit and do and say what the Father does and says. That brings me to our text. Ephesians 5, verse 18. We've looked at this for lots of weeks now. The Scripture says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Most of us have that memorized by now, right? We've been hearing it every single week. Life is more than just some mundane, dull, and monotonous existence. Or it should be. When we are filled with the Spirit, we will be vivacious and full of life. That's what God wants us to be. We're not going to get the vivacity in life from alcohol and drugs, but by being filled with the Spirit. God intends for us to be filled with the Spirit. Literally, we've said that means to be being filled. We are to be filled now. Again, we've talked about that's not an experience in the past. It's a current way of life. Spirit-filled is not a title. It's a way of living, the way we should live all the time. We are to be filled to overflowing. We should be effervescing with the Spirit of God flowing out of our lives. We should be filled with new wine to running over in our lives. The Scripture said we're filled by speaking. We've talked about it, that speaking always accompanies the, the being filled with the Spirit. It always it is the way to stay full. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves. We talked about how that means speaking to your own self. So we've covered a lot of ground over several weeks. We've talked about 
that we talk about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of life. We talk about praying in tongues. I cannot emphasize how important I believe this speaking in tongues every day is to us. When we pray in the Spirit, we literally pray the mysteries of God. We are prophesying what God has is saying. We are declaring His wonderful works to come in our own lives, in the lives of those we're praying for. It's a powerful tool in the Spirit. We're prophesying. We are, we, are, we are praying edification, exhortation, and comfort, building ourselves up on our most holy faith. And I love preaching on that. So we're, I'll go on to some other things, though. We said we've got learn to learn what to yield to and what to resist because we're going to be filled with whatever we yield to. So we spent the last couple of weeks talking about the Spirit and the flesh. So I'm going to continue tonight by looking at a couple of passages we looked at last week and then move into something else toward the end here. We're going to look at John chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and it says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We talked about last time about how that being born of the water, that no one really seems to know exactly what it is. All right, We talked about that it could be it could be when you're born in the natural, because you've got to be born in the natural to be born again. Because you've got to be born once to be born again, right? We talked about it could be baptism, probably not. But more than, more than likely, it's being washed with the water of the Word, talking about the redemption and the new birth. And it says, and, and, and be born of the Spirit. Then Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus makes a distinction between the flesh and the Spirit. Jesus is letting this old covenant guy know that things are now changing. In the old covenant, people lived and served God mostly out of the flesh. I'm not saying that in a negative sense, but they were not born again. The Spirit would come upon a person or a group of people from time to time, but he wasn't continually in them the way he is in the new covenant. They lived under a whole different dispensation, a whole different covenant. Jesus is telling this guy, he said, things are changing now because now you're going to have to be born again. Talking about the spirit man being born again. In fact, he was telling this guy that, but you know, when Jesus died and he went in the tomb, the Bible says he went into the earth and he preached to the captives. He preached the good news to those in the bosom of Abraham and even those Jews who had gone on before, who weren't born again yet, got to hear the gospel from Jesus preaching it to them. And the scripture says when he was resurrected, that the graves were opened up and a whole group of people followed him into heaven. Okay, and so he preached this good news to people because that's, that's how the scripture tells us that it happened. And so these, these old covenant people need to be born again, but we are new covenant people. All right, the spirit is continually in us. In order to enter the kingdom of God, we must be born in the spirit. Now, every human being has a spirit already. Whether they're saved or not, we're born with the spirit. Humans are involved in the birth of the flesh. God is the one who's involved when we are spirit birthed and spirit created. All right? In some people, the spirit is dead. Dead doesn't mean annihilated. It just means separated from God because they've not been born again. Those of us who've made Jesus the Lord of our lives, our spirit is now made alive because we're connected to God by the new birth. All right, so Jesus said, we must be born again. And he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So now I'm going to go to John chapter 4 in verse 20. We read this last week also. 
Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. They're having a big discussion. They're getting past the, 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 the subject of race. Now she gets into the subject of religion. And Jesus says this in John, or she says to Jesus in John 4, verse 20, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, you know not what, but we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. She wants to argue with Jesus about this living water he wants to give to her. And so she begins to talk about her religious traditions. Jesus says, honey, you don't even know what you worship. He says, us Jews, at least, at least it comes from the Jews, because that's true. Uh, the, the covenant from Abraham and the Messiah was coming from the Jews. And she didn't even know what she worshipped. But she had a tradition. And she said, our fathers, our fathers came here in this place to worship. Y'all say we've got to go to Jerusalem to worship. And it, so what do you think is right? So she's talking about her tradition. We need to understand that the word of God is the final authority in everything. It doesn't matter what it is. My tradition does not trump the Word of God. Amen. It never trumps the Word of God. Jesus one time said in Mark 7, 13, He says, You make the Word of God of none effect through your tradition. The Word of God has, has, has no, no, uh, no power. It, it's, devoid of, it's void of power. It's deprived of force and authority through traditions. We must make the Word of God the final authority. That includes worship, how we relate to God, and all that we do. Traditions are pretty powerful. Now, most of us think we have no traditions. But you know what? When Tammy and I go to church, you know what we say? I hope nobody's in our seat. Because we think it's our seat. And we know we sit next to the seat that has the coffee stains all over it. Because we know where our seat is. Okay, And if somebody gets in our seat, we have to think about it for a minute. Because we have a tradition, and that's just where we sit, okay? This woman was more concerned about her traditions than the living word and receiving the living water. The word is invalidated when we allow traditions to take over. Mm. We'll never walk in the fullness of the Spirit when we are honoring traditions more than we're honoring the word of God. Listen, no matter... What's going on? No matter who's saying it, we must find chapter and verse before we're willing to follow or swallow it. Does that make sense to you? We've got to know. See, we don't, we don't have to be theologians. We just need, need to be people who take time with the Word of God. Just take time with the Word of God. One time Tammy and I went to this church... This is a long time ago. We had two small kids at the time. We had four overall. We just had two at that time. We were going to this church, and, and, and one, we had, they had a pretty big staff, and one of the main pastors was hurt in a car wreck, and he was almost killed. And, uh, I mean, they came to church that Sunday, and it was very grave, very grave in the service. And the senior pastor got up, and I'm going to paraphrase what he said, but he said something like, you know, Pastor so-and-so was, was, was injured in this car wreck. 
because the devil hated him. He hates all of us. So we're going to tell you that in this season of time that you just need to be extremely cautious because the devil is out to get you too. That's the last time we ever went to that church. (laughs) I didn't want to be connected with them after that because the devil was out, out to get them. No, the devil may be out to get us. The devil might, he might be out to get us. But the reality is we are the ones who reign in life by one Jesus Christ. The Bible says 365 times, fear not. And when fear comes from the pulpit, that's not a good thing to latch on to. We are people of courage. We are people of the word. We've got to make sure we understand what does the Bible say. And it doesn't matter who says it. It doesn't mean we don't love people. It doesn't mean we don't, we don't love that person anymore. Because I know, as sure as I'm sitting here, I've said things that probably didn't, didn't, didn't agree with the word of God. I can't think of any offhand. <laughs> But we need to make sure we love those people, but we don't have to swallow everything that's said. Last week we talked about there's a difference between the soul and the spirit. Just because something stirs up my soul doesn't mean that it lines up with the word of God. Any, I'll tell you something, any good speaker can stir up your soul. Anybody. I mean, if, if you go, if you went to the, went to the Democratic National Convention, they've got speakers who speak things that you don't believe, and they'll stir you up. <laughs> All right? Because they're good at it. They're good at it, but you need to know what you believe. We need to know what does the Bible say. We need to make sure that what is said lines up with the Word of God. Anybody ever read the book of Job? Job's friends, if you, if you just started... I mean, these guys are like Moe, Larry, and Curly, and they come and they talk to Job. They say some really great things that seem to be, well, they're pretty scriptural, a lot of stuff they say. The problem is their premise at the beginning was wrong, and the premise was wrong. They try to support a wrong premise with scripture, and they try to build it up. We need to be aware of what's going on. Because it doesn't matter how you try to dress it up. If the premise is wrong and not in the word, then the whole thing will tumble. We've got to be people of the word of God. We can't just be stirred up in our souls because it sounds good or because it's noble. We've got to know the word of God. Remember that old Wendy's commercial where the lady would drive up to the window and they gave her the hamburger and there's just like a little piece of meat in there? And she'd go, where's the beef? I think we need to be people who say, where's the word? And all these things that are declared, where is the word? You see, I know that some people put tradition above the word. Some people put put people in church positions and they're held in higher esteem than the word. We've got to make sure the word is given the highest place. It's given the authority in my life. What does the Bible say? I went to see a preacher one time. I was young, and he was young at the time. And we were talking about something, and he said to me, he said, what is your opinion of, I think his question, what is, what is your opinion of uh, healing and the atonement? Well, I had never thought of healing and the atonement before. 
And I was trying to come up with an answer of my opinion. And I'll never forget, he looked at me and he said, you know what? Our opinion doesn't matter. What does the Bible say? Sure. And we began to look at scripture about healing and the atonement. And I learned that day that my opinion really doesn't even matter. What matters is what did God say in his word? We've got to find the word. Even when the majority don't agree. Because sometimes the majority is just wrong. Remember that time in the Bible? The majority voted and they said, let's kill Moses and go back to Egypt. They were wrong. Oftentimes the majority is not the ones we need to be following. Jesus, Jesus said this in Matthew 7. He said, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth into life, and few there be that find it. In other words, the ones who find life are the minority. The majority are going the other way. So I've been called narrow-minded before. Maybe that's okay. Because narrow is the way. We need to find, what does the Word of God say? Jesus, in that passage, she's trying to get her traditions going. She's trying to defend her traditional place. But Jesus declares in the passage, he said, you know what? Y'all don't even know what you're doing. At least where we're coming from is a good spot. But he said, really, that's not even it either. He said, he said now a new way of worship is being implemented. Now things are new. Now it's not done in the flesh. Now it's not about where I go. Now it's about the Spirit because true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. He said that's the way the true worshipers. He said, he said true worshipers, those are the ones that God is looking for. Jesus said true worshipers must worship God in Spirit and in the truth. Now there's a new worship being implemented. So if Jesus said there's a true worship, must be a false worship. If there's a spirit worship, must be a flesh worship. The Samaritans didn't know what they wanted. Jesus said now something new is coming. With the coming of the Holy Spirit in the church, I tell you, we now, he is on all men and all have the ability to worship God in the spirit. Because of the new covenant. As I said, in the Old Testament, the anointing came on some, not on all. We all can worship God in the Spirit. We can walk in the Spirit, worship in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, sing in the Spirit, preach in the Spirit, work in the Spirit. We can be in the Spirit all the time because of the new covenant. In this new covenant, everything has been made new. In the Old Testament, there are lots of scriptures talking about that they worship God with all their might. And that's not a bad thing, by the way. In the New Testament, we worship in the Spirit. Even in the Old Covenant, when they're talking about the new one, the scripture says, not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We have the opportunity to worship the Lord. In the spirit. Now we're to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But our worship is in the spirit.
Now, the body is connected to that, I understand. But the worship is from our spirit to God. Because the scripture says God is spirit. Must be worshipped in spirit. Can I say, just because it's loud and emotional doesn't make it spirit. Just because it's quiet doesn't make it spirit. Spirit, we worship God from our spirit as we're led by God in our spirit. The Father seeks these types of worshipers. He's a spirit. He must be worshipped in spirit. And you know what? That works out for us. Because he's a spirit, we are spirits. We are spirits. The scripture says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are spirits. The real me is a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. The body that we see is just the container of who we are. It's kind of like if you have a, cup, a paper cup filled with coffee, the cup in what's important is the coffee that's important. I've been on a Daniel fast for the last week and a half. <clears throat> Only drink water. And I'm telling you right now, the coffee is what's important. That's what's important. Not the cup, it's the coffee. You and I are spirits. We can worship God in spirit because we are spirits. We have souls. Our soul is our mind, our will, and, and our emotion. Our soul is where, is where the decision is made. Am I going to feed the, the flesh? Am I going to feed the spirit? Because the one that gets fed the most is the one that wins, by the way. And so we, we are spirits. Remember that story about Lazarus and the rich man? And Lazarus died and went to heaven. The rich man, I mean, Lazarus died and went to the bosom of Abraham. The rich man died and went to hell. Remember that story? And how the rich man talked to Abraham. These guys are both dead. But he talked to Abraham. Abraham talked to him. Now, how did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. Our spirit and our soul are going to live forever. Our body's going to catch up to us one of the, after that. But for a while, it's going to be our, our soul and our spirit are alive. Our brain is not the same thing as our mind. Have you ever thought about that? It took a mind for the rich man to talk to Abraham. It took a mind for Abraham to talk to the rich man. The mind is not the same thing as the brain. The brain is the physical organ the mind operates through in my physical body. But when my brain goes dead and I become brain dead, I won't be mind dead. I will continue to think. I'll continue to have a will. I'm going to tell you when we get to heaven and we get to see Jesus, we're going to be in the spirit, but that's going to be an emotional experience. We're still going to be impacted by him. Because we are spirit beings who have souls. Our body just contains that spirit in that soul. People, the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. Not the brain of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Because it's connected 
to a spirit that's connected to him that has life. I always think it's funny when people say, I'm just going to give them a piece of my mind. I always think you better be careful because if you give all those pieces away, you're going to have a problem. Last week we read this passage of scripture. John 6, 63. Jesus said, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. That's a really powerful passage of scripture. Notice that Jesus didn't say, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they're like life. He didn't say that. He said, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Kind of reminds me of Proverbs chapter 4. When the scripture says that if we, if, we, if we pay attention to the word, if we listen to it, we, we put it into us, it says the words are life and health to all our flesh. It's not like it. That's what they are. The words are life. The word is spirit. The word is life. The word is life. If you go to the Library of Congress, there's only one living book. And it's the Holy Bible. It's life. It lives. Jesus said, the flesh profiteth nothing. I mean, he didn't say it profits a little bit. He didn't say it profits at certain times. He said, the flesh profits nothing. I mean, at least the Bible says physical exercise profits a little bit. But he said, the flesh profiteth nothing. Nothing. We talked last week about how that even though it seems like the right and noble thing to do, we must wait for a quickening of the spirit or it will profit nothing. I mean, Jesus was pretty straight up with these folks. He said the spirit is life. The flesh profits nothing. The spirit quickens. As spirit-filled believers, we have the opportunity to wait for the quickening. You ever had a quickening of the spirit? I mean, you're walking along and you just get quickened. And you know what to do. You get quickened. One day I was I was exercising on, a, on a, an exercise machine that we had at the time. And, and as I was exercising, the Holy Spirit quickened me. And he said, I want you to go to this grocery store. I want you to buy a roast. It's going to cost you this much money. And I want you to give it to this lady. And I saw her face. And I thought, really? Okay. So I finished exercise, took a shower. I got in the car and I thought, what are the chances of me finding a roast at that? I didn't know. You know what? I've never bought but one roast in my life, and it was that one. <laughs> and I went, and it, it, was, it, was, it was a grocery store on the other side of town. Didn't even really know that it existed, except the Lord told me where it was. There was a quickening. And I went. I walked in the store. He even told me where it was in the store. I walked straight to it, looked down, and there it was at the exact price he said it was. I picked it up, and I thought, okay. So I'm looking around to see who I'm supposed to give it to. Because I, he, he, I was looking for this lady, because I knew I was supposed to give it to the lady. And so I thought, well, maybe she's outside. So I went up to the front, and I pay, was paying for the roast, and I looked back, and the lady was behind me in line. So I got the, I got the roast. And, uh, you know, I, I thought, okay, I'll wait for her. It was the weirdest thing ever. And so I got the roast and, and waiting for her. And I said, ma'am, can, 
I hate to interrupt you, but the Lord told me to buy this roast and give it to you. And she, she, you know, she was very gracious and really touched by the Lord and all that stuff. And I, and I left there and I thought, Lord, was she supposed to get saved or what was supposed to happen? And I heard the Lord say to me, he said, I just want to make sure you do that. Because I've got some other things I need to do. Well, the quickening. We need to be quickened. We need to wait for the quickening. And we've all had those quickenings. We need to respond to them. Remember, Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda. How many people did he heal? One. The pool was surrounded by sick people. He healed only one. Because he had to wait for the quickening. Can you see Jesus walking up there with his little his entourage? There was a pretty big entourage. They walk up there, and I'm sure that Peter was thinking, "All right, let me let me let me get you this platform over here, Jesus, because you can just get them all at one time." <laughs> and Jesus was like, "Hold on." He waited for the quickening. Went to one guy, healed him. wasn't even embarrassed that they all didn't get healed. He had to wait for the Father. He said, "I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say." We have this quickening of the spirit. We talk about Paul, the demon-possessed girl. Follow them for days. Many days, the Bible says. He had to wait for the quickening to say, come out of her in Jesus' name. He didn't just jump out there and do what he was supposed to do. The Bible says the spirit is life. The flesh profits nothing. The flesh is dead or separated. When the spirit is in something, you can be sure you're in the spirit. If he leads you to it, you're in the spirit. He will always minister life and light. The word quicken, the word quick literally means alive. The spirit gives life. Always will give life. The flesh profits nothing. The quick means alive. Have you ever stabbed something in the quick of your fingernail? Mm. You know why it hurts? Because it's alive. Those nerve endings are right there. And it, it, there's life there. We must avoid the flesh, the profitless discussions, the arguments. I've even discovered over the years, I have to avoid profitless sermon series. I remember one time I was going to preach a sermon series on uh, Jesus' letters to the churches in, in Revelation 2 and 3. I started preaching it. It was, it was a long time ago on Sunday night. So I got to the third letter. I was doing one a week. I got to the third one. I thought, this isn't going anywhere. There was no quickening. It was all intellectual. No quickening. So I went back the next week. I didn't even tell them I was changing. I just quit. I just went to another subject. About three or four weeks later, somebody said, whatever happened to those other churches you were supposed to preach about? They didn't even know for a long time they didn't do those. But we must look. We must look for the quickening. you got to do that. When we're filled with the Spirit, we will be led by the Spirit. The Scripture says in Romans 8 that the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. We wait for his quickening. That's the way we're alive. And that is always alive, his quickening. We can't do just spiritual things the same way over and over again because that's the way we did it last time. Last time we had a hard time, we gave 100 bucks. So let's just give 100 bucks this time. Well, last time God said give 100 bucks, this time we said give 100 bucks. Whole different thing. We follow, we listen to the quickening. We listen to the making sure we're following the Spirit. Last time I mentioned about clapping hands after every song, I just need to make sure you understand, I'm not opposed to clapping hands after every song. In fact, I went home and did a study about clapping hands. 
I won't tell you the results right now. <laughs> I'm not opposed to clapping. In fact, I clap probably when I'm not supposed to more than when everybody else does. You know, because sometimes I, I get, we get in a song and I mean there's a quickening and I just start clapping right then. <laughs> but we need to be led of the Father. Whatever we do in worship, we need to worship in the Spirit. What time is it here? Okay. Now, so I'm just going to share for the last few minutes here. I'm going to talk about how to walk in the Spirit. Just how, how can we walk in the Spirit? And we know that we're filled in spirit by speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But this part is very practical. How can we walk in the spirit? Number one, we walk in the spirit by throwing off hindrances that would stop us. The scripture says in Hebrews 12.1, this is the New International Version, it says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked off, marked out for us. Notice it says we're to throw off hindrances. Throw them off. Have you ever had a, had a wasp land on you? What do you do? You throw that sucker off. I mean, you get rid of that. One time we were on a vacation in Florida, and our son Connor, he was just a little guy, maybe six years old, he stepped in a fire ant bed. He didn't know what it was. He didn't know what the fire ants were. But we saw it. And they're just crawling up his leg. We had we had flip-flops on. We jerked them off. We're swapping those things off. He thought he was in trouble. He thought we were beating him. We were beating the fire ants off of him. But we, we were throwing them off. We need to have that kind of an attitude about anything that would hinder us. Anything that would stop us. What are, what are hindrances? They're anything that's out of line with the word in our lives. Anything. We need to throw off the hindrances. How do we do that? The verse 2 of that same chapter says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. We need to take the time to keep Jesus as our focus. We've got to rid our lives of anything that distracts us. Anything. Whatever it is. I mean, if it's, I don't know, the, re- the, the, the reality TV show. If it's, if it's, if it's, the movies that, that dull our spirits. Mm. If whatever it may be, maybe it's an unwholesome relationship. Maybe it's going to a place we shouldn't go. We need to do everything we can to keep our eyes on Jesus. Too often in church, we allow the busyness of church to distract our focus on him. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Number two, we need to walk in the spirit by sowing into the spirit. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 8, For he who sows to his flesh will reap of the flesh, will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. How do you sow into the Spirit, do you think? With your time. That's how you sow into the Spirit. With your time. Unfortunately, many Christians don't grow because they don't get the word inside of them. They don't take time in the word. Don't take time in prayer. I'll tell you, if you don't give God time, the natural voices will overwhelm you and drown out his voice and you won't have you won't, can't be filled with the spirit. Time, we must take time for the word and for prayer. We walk in the spirit. This is the one I hate the most, but it's in here. So I'm going to go ahead and say it. 
by presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. You know the verse, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do we do that? How do we present our bodies? Number one, we lay aside the things of this world. That means being willing to give up activities, friends, habits that don't match God's best for my life. Laying them aside, walking away from anything in my life that's not pleasing to the Lord. We obey righteousness and not the flesh. The reason people get so good at sin is because they practice it. You practice sin, you can be a good sinner. I mean, a person who becomes an alcoholic didn't become one the first time he drank. He continued to practice it until it overtook him. To become good at obeying the Spirit, we must practice in those little things he tells us to do. Whatever it is, whatever he tells us to do. We make a decision daily to, to put on the Spirit, making sure we've got to practice saying no to our flesh. We've got to practice it. My alarm went off this morning, and I knew I had a lot to do today. I knew I needed to spend time in prayer. I knew I needed to exercise. The alarm went off, and I at first I said no to the alarm. <laughs> well, I didn't want to get up. I laid back down. I thought, no, I'm not getting up. Two minutes later, I thought, no, Flash, you've got to get up, and you've got to do what needs to be done. I didn't want to, but I did. I'm not bragging on me because, you know, there's no way that I'm perfect with that. But we've got to learn how to say no to our flesh when it wants something. We walk in the Spirit. That's my favorite one. By praying in the Spirit every single day. The Scripture says in Romans 8, 26 from the Amplified, So too the Holy Spirit comes to our aid and bears us up in our weaknesses, for we do not know what prayer to offer nor how to offer it worthily as we ought, but the Spirit himself goes to meet our supplication and pleads in our behalf with unspeakable yearnings and groanings too deep for, for our utterance. Praying in the Spirit is the gateway to walking in the Spirit and living a life that's above everything we've ever known. Praying in the Spirit. I mean, this is what this is. Praying in the Spirit is so powerful. It's not just that thing I did the night I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. It is the thing that God put in our lives. I mean, it charges us. It strengthens our spirit. I found that it, it, it enables me to overcome the weakness in my flesh. As I pray in the spirit, the bad habits have to yield to that. I mean, praying in the spirit reveals things to my spirit that I could never know in my own ability. Because I pray in the spirit. My inner man rises up when I pray in the spirit. And finally, we walk in the Spirit by obeying the promptings of the Spirit. A lot of times we say, well, you know, I, just, I never heard the voice of God. Here's the reality. We don't hear, we, people say they can't hear. The problem is not, it's not God not talking. The problem is people not getting on the frequency that God is talking on. We've got to hear Him from our spirit. Jesus said this in John 10, 4, The sheep follow Him because they know His voice. We know the voice of God. We've got to be still long enough to hear what he says. As we sow time, we'll also begin to hear what the Holy Spirit says. We must hear him, and then we obey what he says. 
We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to walk in the Spirit. We need to worship in the Spirit because God's seeking that type of worshiper. We need to abide in what the Word says and just do whatever He says. We can be filled with the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, God, that we can walk in the Spirit. We can do what's been taught here tonight. Lord, your word says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Your word says, Lord, that, that we've not been given a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. You, that you've given that gift to us. Lord, we believe tonight that it's our privilege to walk and live in the spirit. I thank you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Any questions, comments? We should talk about the question before we ask.